Um, yes, yeah, so let's open, our, open the word to uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. And today I'm going to talk about repentance. So Acts chapter 2. A few thoughts on this. So um, I don't like doing it, uh, and I've mentioned this before, but is uh, like I have a concordance, and if I'm talking about repentance, you look up the word repentance. And <laughs> so, but I decided this time um, I'll look, look at the examples of the word repent in the book of Acts. Okay, So I'm going to quickly read a few verses in the book of Acts that mention repentance, um, just to prove that it's there and how important it is. And here, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, this verse is a very well-known verse, to us because it summarises the salvation message in one nice, neat little verse, um, how you enter the kingdom of God. So Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, and this is on the day of Pentecost where Peter is explaining uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So those three things are mentioned. Repent, baptism, which is by full immersion. We went through that earlier. And receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost. And all three are important. Uh, In fact, um, John the Baptist uh, went before Jesus and spoke about repentance. He taught people about repentance. And, uh, And then Jesus carried on with that. Uh, preaching about repentance and then Peter here draws on that information and says, look, you must repent. That repentance is such a vital thing. Uh, you repent, you get baptised and you pray for the Holy Spirit. And as we've mentioned and we've heard in testimony, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues. But here, this word repent. So over to chapter 3. Chapter 3 and verse 19. Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So this is after a wonderful miracle uh, was seen, and Peter's explaining uh, to the people that queried it, and he goes, look, repent. Repent ye therefore, be converted, and your sins be blotted out. You know, repentance is part of all that. It's converting, you know, changing your ways. Instead of following your own ways, you repent and follow the Lord's ways. Over to chapter 8, Acts chapter 8. This here is a great story of uh, one of the disciples going to Samaria and preaching about the kingdom of God. Um, But he didn't baptise any of them. So uh, John and Peter went from Jerusalem to Samaria to baptise these people. And so uh, Acts chapter 8, and we'll start in verse 17, and it says, Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Okay? So they laid their hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And verse 18, And when Simon, which is um, Simon the sorcerer, saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. He saw a notable miracle. He saw something remarkable, something he could see and hear when people received the Holy Spirit. And this bloke was a magician, what we call a modern-day magician. He used tricks and so forth to uh, pretend like he was an important person 
um, <coughs> and he saw this trick, this magic trick that he didn't know about. Wow, I want to be able to lay hands on people and I want to be able to see them speak in tongues. And he thought that he could buy it, you know, like he could buy all these other secrets and um, tricks and so forth from other people, like the, the, the method for that. So he offered them money. He offered Peter and John money. In verse 19, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this manner, matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. So Peter's response was very powerful. He said, look, you need to repent from that idea. You can't buy with money what God has on offer. You know, repent from that. You know, uh, repent from this gall of bitterness, this bond of iniquity. You know, forget about the thought of your heart that's in your own uh, strength and uh, using these things as, you know, like Simon the sorcerer would have, like as a, as a display. You know, repent from that and, uh, and look at it with purity, how God wants to look at it. Chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Acts chapter 17 and verse 16. Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Just jump to verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars's hill and said, Ye men of Athens... I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by, I beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. So Paul saw all this idolatry in the city of Athens and also amongst that was a, an altar to the unknown God. To cover all the bases, they thought maybe there's an unknown God. And Paul knows that they worship this unknown God, in ignorance, but that's the God Paul wants to talk about. Right, I'm going to explain to you about what you call the unknown God. So then he goes through this explanation and down in verse 28, For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Okay? And that's very quaint how he says that, this, these times of ignorance, you know, where people worship their own ways, their own gods. Uh, in this instance, they are statues and so forth. God winked at it. It's like, okay, I'll wait. I'll wait, uh, waiting for all men to repent, to change the ways. Over to uh, chapter 26, the last one. Chapter 26 and verse 20. Acts 26 and verse 20. 
So we read in verse 20, and it says here, But showed first unto them of Damascus, and at Jerusalem, and throughout all the coasts of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, and turn to God, and do works meet for repentance. So of course I've isolated this passage, you can read the whole chapter later, but it's interesting here, where it says, you know, all people, you know, Jews, Gentiles, whatever, as long as you're a human being, they should repent and turn to God. But then it adds more, and do works meet for repentance, okay? And do actions, things that are worthy of repentance, okay? It's not just words. It's not just a thought. It's actually actions. You, you lead a new life. Repentance is changing your ways. And, and looking to God in doing things for God and leaving behind your other priorities. That's why God sees repentance as being so important amongst those other two, baptism and receiving the Holy Spirit. And in Revelation, there's a couple there as well. It says, um, it says that God gave those idolaters, those people that uh, worship idols, space to repent. Okay? So God gives people time to repent, okay? He's not here wanting to destroy everyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance, so he gives even those that are so far away from God time to repent. He also says, those he loves, he chastens. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You know, have that energy and that desire, uh, to, that zeal to do God's will and repent. Um, Psalm chapter 14. Psalm 14. Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. So Psalm chapter 14 and verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone astray. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And this here sums up very well why God wants people to repent. It's like there's none good, none, not one. Uh, everyone has become altogether filthy. You know, um, the, we are corrupt, abominable works, you know, and uh, God wants us to leave that, leave that uh, way of life. And, uh, but also it's a part of it. It's like it's a part of that realisation that uh, in our own strength, before the eyes of the living God, we are filthy, uh, we cannot do good uh, in our own uh, ways, in our own strength. And so that's the whole acceptance of that fact that, okay, I can't follow God in my own strength. I need him to help me. I need him to help me so that I can be close to God. Isaiah chapter 57. Just over to Isaiah chapter 57. Just one verse here. 
Isaiah chapter 57 and verse 15. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. Now the reason I read this is... What often happens is there's a confusion that happens between what uh, God's definition of repentance is and then it's kind of muddied with this idea of being contrite and humble. Um, there is a clarity. So as a result of this muddiness of understanding, some people... Um, think that God wants us to continually ask for forgiveness, right? Like, so let, let's say that, you know, I'm being contrite and I'm being humble. It's like, oh, I made a mistake again. I'm humble for the living God. Oh, Lord, can you forgive me of my mistake? No, it's like we, we're contrite. Yeah, okay, whoops, I made a mistake. But hey, it doesn't matter. You know, I'm forgiven. Like, God doesn't want us to continually ask for, for forgiveness of our sins. You know, uh, we did, like, we repented and we realised that we were sinners without God. But now we have God with us and we're trying in our best effort, right? Trying as best we can to follow his ways. And we're bound to slip up. Every day we'll do something, say something, think something. But it doesn't mean that you have to ask for forgiveness. You have that uh, heart of contrition before the Lord. Humble. Yes, Lord, you know, I need you in my life. It's only through you that I can attain righteousness. It's not within myself. And so let us not muddy this um, thing up between repentance and being contrite and asking for forgiveness. We repented. Before we got baptised, right, I'm going to follow your ways. And there's no more uh, praying to the Lord to forgive my sins because I've already been forgiven, already done. And we'll come at, uh, go through a few scriptures uh, down the track. So, yeah, uh, over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, just to prove that point. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And what a position of freedom it is. Because being filled with the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit in us and it's like having a spotlight on us. It's like this Holy Spirit wants us to do good all the time. So when we mess up, we've got this spotlight. <laughs> and, it, it, and what we do wrong is just blatantly obvious to us because we've got the Holy Spirit in us. The Lord wants us to be free from that condemnation. He realises what's going on, what dynamic there is in us. And he wants us to be free. Yes, you made a boo-boo. Get on your knees and pray in tongues. You are worthy to enter the holiest of holies. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And here it says quite plainly, and such were some of you in the past. And it's like adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves, mankind, thieves, covetous, murderers, drunkards, revilers, all those things. Idolaters were some of you. But ye are washed, which means you're clean. But you're sanctified, which means you're separated now. You lead a different life. But you are justified 
That means that you, the, it's like the, the gavel has come down and said, no, he is right, he is just, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Okay? So yes, your repentance is so important, that decision to change your life, that realisation that you can't please God in the flesh, you need him in your life. But after that, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are washed, sanctified and justified before the living God. And it's the Holy Spirit that makes you clean. It's not your body, your own selves, your own priorities. They are filthy, as we read in Psalms. So there's a separation there. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And this is freedom. This is liberating. Okay? God wants to set the captives free. We're not captive anymore to sin. We're free. And if you're continually asking for forgiveness of your sins, you are captive to your sin. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12. But this man, talking about Jesus Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. As we read, those that have been washed, sanctified, justified, for those that have the Holy Spirit, forever them that are sanctified. Verse 15, whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that, he had said before, and then it goes on, about this wonderful deliverance where the, uh, the statutes are in our heart. But verse 15, it says, whereof the Holy Ghost is a witness. Okay? So if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you speak in tongues, that Holy Spirit is a witness. And it says to God, hey, this person is justified. This person has been perfected forever. There is no more need for repentance and asking for forgiveness, the Holy Ghost itself is a witness. It's like um, in a court of law, someone stands up and, and is a witness for the deeds of the person on trial. It's like the Holy Ghost is standing up, is a witness for us before the living God, okay? That we are perfected forever in the eyes of the Lord. But it all started with that idea of repentance and that humility and being contrite in the heart, realising you need the Spirit. You need him in your life to be perfected so that then you've got the Holy Ghost as that witness. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. My little children, these things write I unto you, that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Someone there to back us up. And he said, sorry, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Okay? So we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And we'll go backwards here. 
right? It says here that uh, Jesus' sacrifice was enough for the sins of the whole world. Now, we can often think that we're bad. We're so bad. We don't belong in the kingdom of God. You know, and then you can think of uh, many horrible things that have been happen- happened in history by the hand of mankind. And it says here that Jesus' sacrifice was enough for the sins of the whole world. Okay? So his sacrifice was enough for your own sin. Like there's nothing you can do more to help forgiveness of your sins. Jesus has done it all. So uh, though, no matter what you've done in the past, if you repent and follow his ways, follow his spirit, his guidance, your sins have been forgiven. They've been squashed and thrown over, away into the sea of forgetfulness, no matter what it is, because it says plainly here that his sacrifice was enough for the sins of the whole world. So if the whole world throughout history since Jesus' sacrifice decided to repent and follow his ways, it's fine. His sacrifice was enough. So never think that you're too bad or you've done too many bad things. Uh, it's not true, okay? And, uh, and it's Jesus Christ who was the propitiation. He did it for us. He took the sins of the whole world on his shoulders that we may be free. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. Just before the book of Corinthians, after the book of Acts. Romans chapter 7. This here is an interesting passage and... It's hard to understand, but it's encouraging us to separate things of the spirit and things of the flesh. Romans chapter 7 and verse 17. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. As we read in Psalms, it's filthy, it's corrupt. For to will is present with me. You know, that desire is with me to do what's good. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. You know, how to continually do good things, you know, we we fall fall to pieces. You know, we, we can't do it. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, you know, the spirit within, delight, you know, we can't, our spirit is lifted up when we, uh, when we pray to him, when we read the word, when we're fellowshipping, it's lifted up, there's excitement, delight in the law of God after the inward man. <coughs> but I see another law in my members, in my body, which war against the law of my mind. You know, we do things and think things and consider things that are contrary to the inward man and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Somehow, there's a separation here. We, in the flesh, we do continue to sin, right? The flesh is an enmity. So that's what it's saying here. But, 
But it's in a weird way, you've got to accept it's not actually me that's doing it, it's sin that's in me. <laughs> so, but in the spirit, that's what God sees. Okay, God is a spirit. He only sees the spirit in us. And that is a, a beautiful miracle. We heard of wonderful miracles happening, but this is a phenomenal miracle. The God that knows everything is all powerful. You know, at, at his voice, he can destroy. At his voice, he can create. Somehow, miraculously, he ignores the sin of the flesh. We see it, you know, but somehow he ignores it. He can only see the spirit in us. And that aspect, you know, he grabs hold of that aspect of repentance at the beginning, realising that, no, my conscience is toward you, Lord. My conscience is to follow your ways, you know, and not my own. And that's all wrapped up in that salvation message, why God can miraculously ignore the sin that's in us. It doesn't give us a licence to do whatever we want. We have a testimony to uphold, you know, and uh, we, don't need, we don't want to be um, uh, caught up by it. Now, next scripture, sorry, James chapter 1, we'll explain it. James chapter 1. We've got a new life now. Praise the Lord for a new life. Change can be daunting, but... Change to follow God's ways is great, you know? It's freedom. James chapter 1 and verse 14. This here um, explains a little bit more. James chapter 1 and verse 14. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. Now that word lust has very strong meaning now, but it can, can mean all sorts of things. You know, we have a lust to, to do things. I can't think of any at the moment. But, you know, like we, we, we have desires to do things and when they're contrary to what God wants in our life, you know, and it can be anything. It can be all sorts of things. It's like, I guess the first thing I can think of is, you know, you're a good sportsman. You're great with sport. And it's okay when you're a child because the training's on a Wednesday or a Thursday or even a Saturday morning. And then as you get further and further, like you're still really good. The Lord's blessing you, I suppose. And then all of a sudden, all the games are on a Sunday and you've got to miss your meetings. You know, you've got that lust toward the, the sport instead of a desire to follow God's ways. And, uh, and that's a type of lust. So I'll read verse 14 again. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then, when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You know, do not be deceived, but carry on the straight path. So this here is like we all are drawn away of lust, right? We all have that in us. You know, like we've still got the flesh, we, we desire to do things and there's lust there. It's always there. Um, and being enticed. But what it's saying here, it's, far, it's okay when it doesn't lead to anything, you know. But when lust is conceived, it does lead to something, then that becomes sin, right? But then there's another step here and it says, when, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Right, So we've got the lust, it's conceived and we sin. But then when you, when you live your life in that sin and you keep doing it, you keep going in that life of sin, it leads to death and destruction. But when it comes to that sin point, you withdraw, wait a minute, I'm supposed to be doing this, 
following God's ways, then it leads to life. And, uh, and when you first repent at that first stage, you realise that your life is leading to destruction because sin is being finished. It's wrapped your life all up in it. So you repent, turn away and follow God's ways and then it leads to life and sin will not lead to death anymore. Okay? And so uh, that is uh, a, a, a huge step of repentance. Last scripture, Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6, just the, the book beforehand. Hebrews chapter 6. Just to finish up. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. So that's Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. You know, we'll continue laying that foundation over and over again and, uh, and spreading the gospel and explaining these things. And then, but then it goes here in verse 4, four the reason we don't uh, do like have to relay the foundation and all these things like uh, continually repent, continually baptise people, continually do these things. For, in verse 4, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were partakers of the Holy Ghost, well, part of the kingdom of God, it's impossible, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now, it's, there's a fair bit there, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll reread it from verse 4, a lot shorter. But it says here, at the start of verse 4, For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened, verse 6, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to open shame. Okay? So if we're continually uh, repenting, uh, you know, asking for forgiveness of sins, you know, um, and even here it says for those that fall away, follow their own ways and stop fellowshipping with the Lord and then they come back, we don't baptise them again. We don't get them to... Uh, to uh, publicly repent again because it's like crucifying the Son of God afresh. You know, he did it once. That's it. He did it once and that was enough for the, forgive- for the forgiveness of sins of the whole world. And so this repentance thing is important at the start and that's that, okay? You repent, you get baptised by full immersion, you pray for the Holy Spirit. You know you've got the Holy Spirit when you're speaking in tongues so with the Holy Spirit, that is a witness. It's a witness that we are perfected forever before the living God. And if things happen in life, things happen in life. I'll tell you what, we all know that. Stuff happens. You don't come back and publicly repent and, so, and uh, ask for forgiveness. Get baptised again. You don't pray for the Holy Spirit again. The Holy Spirit's with you always. Jesus was sacrificed once and that was enough. That was complete. 
Um, and it actually says here in verse 4, for it is impossible, okay? It's for impossible for those who were once enlightened and partakers of the Holy Ghost to uh, repent again. That, to me, is a form of freedom. You know, you're freed from uh, sin, from the captive, the bonds of sin. Uh, we're free to continually look to Lord, continually ref- being refined and, uh, and, and trying to do our best before him. Okay, that's it. Thank you.